Welcome to the Holy Soup Podcast, where the church's status quo and sacred cows get rounded up, simmered down, and dished out. And now, here's your chief cook, author, innovator, filmmaker, and founder of Group Publishing, Tom Schultz. This is Michael Kiefer, and I'm keeping Tom Schultz's chair warm here today at Holy Soup. And today we're talking with Brian Bennett. Now, you may remember Brian chatting with us about the work he's doing reaching out to the Duns. While we were talking with him about that, Brian mentioned something that that caught our attention. It's something that has huge relevance to anyone who's in the church, in business, in the military, pretty much in life. It's this. How do you effectively navigate being second in command? Not the top dog, but the dog running one step behind in second place. In the church, unless you're the senior pastor, you are second in command to somebody. Uh, And you can argue that even the senior pastor is second in command to God, a a church board, or some combination of the two. Brian, you set out on an 18-month investigation of how to both be an effective second in command, uh, you call that a wingman, and how leaders should pick a second in command. Well, let me first welcome you back to Holy Soup. Uh, thanks, Michael. It's uh, really good to be back. Um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Great. Us too. Well, here's a question for you. What motivated you to care so much about how to be a wingman? Well, I was. Um, I have always been in a secondary role. You know, early in my career, I was the youth pastor, and then I went to the small groups pastor. But in the last ministry I was in. I was a more high-profile uh, teaching pastor, so um, myself and, uh, and the other, uh, the senior pastor, did most of the weekend teaching in a in a fairly large church. And so, what motivated me is I was I was always struggling to understand that dance because, especially in the church world, it seemed like there was a pressure or an expectation that the ultimate goal was to be a preacher. Uh, to be a senior minister or senior pastor or whatever mm-hmm. your denomination calls it. And, uh, you know, even early on when you're the youth pastor and you get to preach those two times a year, you know, Fourth of July weekend and <laughs> Christmas, <laughs> New Year's Eve weekend, you know, those those big time slots. Mm-hmm. But when you would, on the, on the occasions you would get to, you know, I'd be standing at the front door and and even, uh, you know, some, some of the uh, people would say, oh, you'll you'll make a fine preacher someday, or uh, do you look forward to having your own church someday? And it was always just subtly the goal, you know. And even in leadership outside the church, um, it seems like all the books that are written, if you go to the leadership section of the bookstore, uh, the ultimate goal is to be at the top of the pyramid. Um, I was at a conference, and uh, I heard a a man named Don Solderquist. He was the main speaker at this one session. I had never heard of Don Solderquist in my life. And what, it, as it turns out, Mr. Solderquist was Sam Walton's, you know, the, the Walmart guy? Oh, yeah, I heard of him, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he was Sam Walton's uh, wingman, or second-in-command, for 40 years. And, Michael, he was just brilliant. I mean, it, it was like listening to the teaching of Solomon. He was so good and so powerful. And I'm sitting in the audience thinking, why? Because at that point, Mr. Walton had passed away, and he was still carrying forth Sam Walton's vision. You know, he, um, And I sat there thinking, why, 
why didn't you just do your own thing? You're obviously a phenomenal leader. Why, why didn't you just go start a company or run mm-hmm. your own thing? And it made me curious. And it, it made me curious as to, as to whether there are some people that are just called and better equipped to help someone else achieve their vision rather than the expectation of eventually you being number one, could it be that there are some people that are called to and equipped to being a better second-in-command or wingman-type person? And so what I did is I asked permission from the leadership at the time, and I went on an 18-month journey, and I interviewed every second-in-command-type person that I could possibly find. Which I've got to tell you is just a fascinating thing, uh, and and I'd love to know <laughs> who did you sit down with, and and why did you pick those particular people to interview? Well, again, this was uh, this has been almost a decade ago, so some of this may be uh, may be dated a bit, but at the time, uh, John Ortberg was the uh, teaching pastor and midweek believer service pastor at Willow Creek, so he was one of my interviews. Uh, Lee Strobel was working at the time at um, Saddleback with Rick Warren as a teaching pastor, but he Mm -hmm. also had launched his own career as a well-known speaker and author. Um, So I stayed in the church world a little bit. I'm from the Christian Church, Church of Christ world, and one of the largest churches in our brotherhood was in Louisville, Kentucky, Southeast Christian Church. And actually at the time, Bob Russell and Dave Stone both granted me an interview together, which was fascinating. Mm -hmm. So I stayed, for the first round, I stayed in the church world at some pretty high-profile names that people would recognize, and then I started branching out from there. I live near Cincinnati, and uh, at the time, John Kitna had been the starting quarterback for the Cincinnati Bengals, had just been the comeback player of the year, had a great season, during the offseason, they drafted Carson Palmer and, uh, and named him the starting quarterback before Ooh. the season started. So, so, so the top guy there became the wingman. Yeah, so suddenly John Kitna found himself without any input as the backup quarterback to this young kid. And John Kitna is a strong Christian and found himself in a position. He was angry. He, he told me the story. He said he was actually driving to Paul Brown Stadium mm-hmm. when he heard the news on ESPN radio. Oh, he got the news he was second in command by hearing it in the media? Yes, yes. Oh, tough day. Yeah, it's a very tough day. So he was angry, and he drove to the stadium, and he says he was in the, in the elevator on the way up to the penthouse to talk to the coach and the owner and tell them uh, how how angry he was and, and how disrespectful this was. Mm-hmm. And he and but on the way in the elevator, he heard uh, Jesus tell him, "Yeah, John, that's what I would do." And uh, he said he calmed himself down, got off the elevator, and said, "I understand what's going on, and I want you to know." I will be Carson Palmer's biggest cheerleader. Wow. Told him, told him how unhappy he was, but at the same time, sacrificed his own ego to do what was best for the organization. And that's the common thread that I heard through many of the people that I interviewed, men and women, in the business world, 
in the church world, people who, who do it right, they understand the role that they're playing is, is beyond their own career. It's really for the best of the organization and best suits their skill set. Now, you said, I've heard you say, that, that being second command is a tough role. I think you referred to it as a dance as well. Why do you feel those are good descriptions of that role? You know, and I'll stay in the church world because that's my, that's my best um, experience. There's ego in play because, and I don't know that it's necessarily true between the senior pastor and, let's say, a youth pastor, but I think at some level we all want to succeed, and we all like affirmation that we're doing well. And the danger in this is, as much as I believe God throughout the Bible highlights team leadership as the model, you know, you have Paul and Barnabas, you have David and Jonathan, you have Moses mm-hmm. and Aaron, you have tons of examples of team leadership. At the same time, I think Satan wants nothing more than to tear that apart. So you see a spiritual component here. Absolutely. I, I, I believe the spiritual component, especially inside the church, is the biggest component. Hmm. Yeah. I remember visiting with um, Bob Russell and Dave Stone. Mr. Russell looked at me, and I thought he was being a little dramatic at the time, but he said he believed that the role of a senior leader and his wingman is the most important and the most dangerous relationship in the entire church. Well, unpeel, uh, peel that back a little bit for us. Unwrap that a little bit. What do you think he was saying? And you said at the time, so I assume you've changed your mind, and it, you don't see it as dramatic now. No, I, I certainly don't. And it's because of the spiritual dynamic. I think on the good side of that, it's the most important because I think it embodies exactly what God had in mind for leadership. I mean, you could even go to the, the Trinity as far as the ultimate example of team leadership. Uh, but, but in the church, the best example is not one lone ranger calling all the shots. It's really more about a team of people that come together with a unified vision and a unified effort and if that is done well, if that dance is done well, that is healthy across the entire church. Now, I'm picturing a lot of listeners who are either in churches where uh, they're just not experiencing that. Either they are in a church that's not very large and they are calling all the shots because they can't get anybody else to show up and do it, or they're kind of under fire. They're, they're at a board meeting or they're at a session session or whatever, whatever the leadership team is. And the idea of a common, united vision, that just seems like a joke to them. So when you say it's done right, let's kind of skip to that. How do you do it right? How do you make that happen? That's a great question. Um, I, I've since turned this into more of a mindset. It's not necessarily a job description as much as it can be a culture. Hmm. And so when I'm in businesses now or groups talking to them, I teach it as a, as a cultural mindset more so than a job description. And to answer your question, the key word to making it work is intentionality. Okay. From the top, and that's probably a leadership team or an eldership or whatever you call it, this decision needs to be intentional, that we are going to insert this mindset across all of our ministries that we're not going to level the playing field because obviously leadership is important. But we're going to do it in a, in, a, in a servanthood, 
lead from the bottom up kind of mentality. And so to me, what, I, what I've landed on is the difference is some, some churches, because a lot of, especially startup churches now, they start with maybe a team of five, Okay. right? Mm-hmm. So there is no tenure, there's no, no one's been there longer. The perception of the congregation is we all started at the same time. So uh, I think churches today are facing this much more so than churches 30 years ago, because it used to be the senior pastor and then maybe the youth pastor and the music person. Well, then somewhere along the way came the executive pastor. And, and another, another weekend preacher came along. So some of those very clear lines of hierarchy became fuzzier. Hmm. And so I think this topic is much more relevant now than it was even 15 years ago. Now, I know that you talked to a number of people, but one of the things you did was ask them all the same questions. So I'm going to kind of run through a couple of those questions, and I'd love to have you tell me what you heard. Okay. Also, I know you talked to a vice president as well, Dan Quayle, I believe. I did. Okay, well, that's intriguing to me. I'm wondering, uh, give me a Dan Quayle story. How did that thing unfold? It was very brief. His his time was much more controlled at the time, so I had to write a letter and make a request. So uh, the interview was by phone, and it was very brief. So I, I don't want to give you the idea that we went golfing or anything like that. <laughs> but the biggest thing that I took away from Mr. Quayle was the whole angle on self-respect, because I remember him saying, you know, it was hard because, this is him talking, that mm-hmm. you know, nobody plays a band when I get off the plane. You know, people want the president. They don't want the vice president to show up. The schools and the, you know, all the people that you're going to speak at these rallies, they always want number one. So the biggest thing he talked about was just him being comfortable in his own skin, knowing that I, I play an important role and there isn't going to be a band, there's not going to be the hoopla, and, and I noticed that in the ministry, you know, when I would run a meeting, um, and let's say the senior pastor walked in the room or showed up, mm-hmm. even though I was running the meeting, all the eyes, all the answers would be directed towards him. <laughs> because there's this, we do live in a culture that honors whoever the number one is. And so if you're the number two guy or girl, mm-hmm. woman, you need to be comfortable in your own skin and just understand that. It's just part of the gig. Wow. Hence the leave your ego at the door. Yes. I would say crucify. Crucify that sucker at the door. It's, it's a daily thing. And I, you know, I, I didn't always do it well uh, at all. Uh, the other thing that <clears throat> I think this came from Mr. Quayle, but several people said it, was there needs to be a term limit. And... That doesn't necessarily mean a number of years, but there are some internal checks that are going off that let you know that your time in this particular role is done or needs to be done. What might those be? If you feel that bitterness start to take over, um, if, you, if, you start to, if you start to engage in conversations, because that, that comparison factor is going to happen. You know, people will people will try to come in and say, "Boy, if you were in charge, things would be different." And mm. and just little bitty, nothing really uh, bold, but just subtle little comments. And if you feel yourself starting to slide 
towards those comments rather than correcting those comments, those, those internal checks are letting you know that you better pay attention to this. You better be intentional about that as well. And the biggest mistake I made uh, towards the end of my, my career in the, in the, as a second-in-command wingman was I didn't pay attention to those inner voices soon enough. How did that play out for you? Um, and it's all me. You know, it was, it, nothing changed in the organization or even with the person that I was working with. The change was inside of me. I, I started believing my own press. I, I started giving away to that competitive voice and, and started listening to those things rather than constantly keeping yourself in check. And I would say if you're out there listening to this and you're in a wingman type of a role, that is as important as vitamins and exercise every day is keeping your perspective in check every single day and probably having a safe person in your life you can vent to about the realities of your role. You know, I, One of the things that I did towards the end is I had two other people who had the exact job I did in two other fairly large churches that didn't even live close to me. Mm-hmm. We had a conference call every Thursday. And we talked to each other, and it wasn't a it wasn't a complaining session. It was just a how you doing session. How's your how's your week going? What are you facing? What are you because inside the church, there's really sometimes not the safest place to go. But I had other people who understood that dance that I was talking to, and that I can't even tell you how much that helped. I, I, I gotta I gotta believe that that's a that, that's a support group you're describing. And that you're recommending, I think, that if somebody is in a wingman position, they better know some other wingmen and be able to talk that through. Yes, yeah, and and keep it in check. You know, it's it's it has to again. I think that has to be intentional. What is the purpose of this friendship? And and for the three of us, we're talking. The purpose was to make sure that we were keeping our our egos in check and doing the best job we could do in a very unique role. Now, I suspect, at least in a, in a large church, and probably any church or other organization, people who are second in command or close to the top are there because they have leadership abilities, and they're having to set those aside? Is that what I hear? They are, and that's one of the things that I think there's a misconception out there that behind every great leader is a follower. Or a, and some leaders, they only want to surround themselves with yes people. But in a healthy organization, good leaders surround themselves with other good leaders. And to know, to see yourself that way, because generally in most organizations, you might be in one meeting where you're with your senior leader, so you're the wingman. But then you walk out of that meeting, and you're going to go run a meeting where you're the senior leader, and everybody else in the room are your wing people. And so changing roles and changing mindsets and knowing when I'm in a room, which role am I playing right now is part of that intentionality. Got it. And that's where perhaps having your senior pastor walk in when you were leading a meeting, that's what derailed it. It did. It did. And one of the things I learned through all these interviews, just and, and there's a lot of that we could talk for hours on this, but <laughs> I, I gained so much wisdom by talking to these people. But one of the things that I that I heard that really stuck out to me, an agreement that should be made between a senior leader and his or her wing person is this, never surprise me in a meeting. 
don't don't let a meeting with other people be the first time I've heard a major decision. Sounds like you would also include that now. Don't let me hear it on ESPN either if you happen to be losing <laughs> yeah. your quarterback role. You know, if uh, if that applies to you, then yes, absolutely. Don't don't hear it on Fox News or ESPN. Super. So get that get that in the contract. Well, let me run through a couple of those questions that uh, you asked all the people you talked to, and give me a couple of quick points on each one, if you would, just to okay. reassure our listeners. While we could talk for hours, we won't. Just just so you know. Now you asked uh, folks what was both rewarding and challenging in being second in command, and I'm curious what you heard from people. The rewarding part was knowing they were part of something bigger than themselves. And once they had accepted that I'm called to do this, there was just an intrinsic value to that because they got to be part of a team. You know, there are some people that love the Lone Ranger leadership style, but that's a lonely way to live your life. Mm. And so if you're the part of the reward, if you do it well, is you, you feel like you're part of something. Uh, the challenges uh, is exactly what we've already said. It's, it's some of those, it's the internal battles and and just accepting the fact that if I if I am called to youth ministry for the rest of my life accept the reality of that that's a challenge because I hate to go back to money but you're not going to make the money that you would if you were a preacher mm-hmm. uh, you, you may not have the influence with the church board or the elders or or those you, your respect has to come from within and knowing that you're doing what God called you to do and you're changing the lives of kids because of that I think I'm hearing you talk about humility here, uh, whatever else might be involved, that that you simply accept where you are and, and be faithful there. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Well, that's a hard thing, though. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I remember being visiting Willow Creek Church at one point, and there was a little white church that sat pretty much in the shadow of this mega church and thinking, that's the guy I want to hear from, whoever's the pastor there. How does that feel? Sometimes our ambitions play out not just within a, an organization, but moving to a larger organization. Well, even at conferences, you mentioned a place like Willow Creek or you know any of the big churches that throw conferences. There aren't any workshops on what we're talking about. You know, for for every church that's there, for the sessions that the senior pastors are in, there there's also a a, a wingman that could benefit by going down the hall to another workshop just to talk about this dynamic. Mm. And, I, and I, I'm so grateful for this opportunity because that's a, that's a drum that I think needs banged uh, in, the, in, the, in the church setting, is let, let's talk more about this because a blow-up is not a good thing. Uh, when it goes bad, uh, it, it is hurtful. And uh, so let's be more intentional and, and model uh, there's lessons to be learned in Scripture about how to do this well and how not to do it well. So let's let's put a, a brighter light on this and let's talk about it more. Okay. Well, I would imagine that the senior pastors uh, down their hallway there, one of the things that uh, I believe you have talked about is they need to be thinking about how to pick a wingman. How is it usually done in the church, and how would you recommend it be done? There are some tools out there. Uh, you know, and, and I know that like church plants, they do assessment type tools, and one of my favorite is strength finders. I think early on, even in the interview process, there needs to be time spent between those two people, or, or at least the the upper leadership team, just to feel out what is the chemistry. And, and by chemistry, I don't mean friendship. 
that's one of the other questions I asked is, is, is friendship required? That's great if it happens, but it doesn't matter if it doesn't. This is a job. So the chemistry to me is where trust can be developed and, and can you get along with each other? Do you, do you feel that? There are some tools out there that can be used as part of that process, but maybe slow down the process a little bit and get the get these people together and just watch them interact and have some of these discussions. You know, mm. maybe develop a, a wingman interview that some of these exact questions can be asked. Do you feel called? Let's, let's say you're being interviewed to be a teaching pastor or executive pastor. Ask them the question, do you feel called to what you're doing, or do you see this as a stepping stone for something else down the line? If so, when? You know, ask those questions rather than hoping and guessing that it all all work out. Why not just throw it on the table and be honest about it up front? Mm, that's some of your intentionality peeking out there, mm-hmm. I think. You know, there's one more thing I want to ask you about, simply because I found it so fascinating. So while I've got you, let me just check in. You've said that some of the best interviews you did were with, of all people, caddies. Explain that. Yeah, golf caddies. I'm I'm a big golfer, and uh, I was I had been in Columbus living, and uh, one of the big tournaments comes to Mirfield Village every year. So I got curious. I started looking at the entire world through the lenses of wing people, mm-hmm. and the golf caddy and and professional golfer relationship really intrigued me. So I went over to Columbus during the PGA tournament at Mirfield, and I hung out near the where the caddies come out of and you know, they don't get requested for a lot of interviews you know some some of the more famous ones do but most of them don't and and i found uh, I, I interviewed several of them but i found these two twin brothers that had been doing all the different tours men's women nike tour all those for 40 years of their life wow and uh, ended up having the most amazing conversation with one of those do you have time for a real quick story oh, yeah oh yes Okay, this is my favorite wing, wingman story. Uh, one of the brothers, um, I, I guess before you get to be a full-time caddy for a golfer, you're a substitute for in case a caddy gets sick or hurt or whatever. And this guy was on the sub list, and one of the caddies for Fuzzy Zeller, pretty famous golfer, uh, he got sick, and so this guy got called in to be the substitute for one day. So he was nervous as a cat. You know, Fuzzy Zeller was a very big personality and pretty famous. And he walked up to him on the practice tees and introduced himself and said, I'm going to be your caddy for the day. What can I do to help you? And he said, Fuzzy Zeller turned to him and he said, here's what I need you to do. Show up, keep up, and shut up. And I have now outlined my sessions in those three categories. So, so, uh, it, so as you teach a wingman what to do, what are the three things they should do? Show up, keep up, and shut up. And, and so here's the spin I put on them. Show up means you constantly improve yourself. You be there. You know, the, the, the whole wingman philosophy is based on the story of when, when Moses and the Israelites were fighting in battle and God said, Moses, keep your arms up. As long as your arms are up, I'll give you victory. If you lower your arms, you'll be defeated. Well, his wingman, Aaron and her, 
literally saw his arms weakening and went up and, and held his arms up. And so the show up part of that means you, you show up and understand that your role, part of your role, is to prop your leader up. The keep up means professionally. You stay on, you stay on your own edge. Mm-hmm. You find something that you can put your handprint on, your thumbprint on, and you do it. The, whatever role you have, whatever piece of the puzzle you have in the organization, you keep up. You do that to the very best of your ability. And then the shut up part, the twist that I've given on that is, I think as a wingman, one of the hardest things to know is when should I speak and when should I just stay silent. Uh-huh. You know, and, and knowing the circumstance knowing all the dynamics that might be at play during a particular decision. Sometimes your leader needs a word, and sometimes they just need you to keep your mouth shut and understand that things will get better. You don't need to say your, your piece right now. And there's a lot more to those three things, but that's how I've divided up. I, I loved talking to those guys. They sound like they were fascinating. And it's been a great conversation with you as well, Brian. So thank Thank you. you. Thank you for sharing what you've discovered along the way. And thank you, if you're listening, for joining us with uh, Holy Soup. Uh, We look forward to having you join us again. Be watching the website for what's coming next.